Okay, I want to I want to read a scripture to you first. <clears throat> If you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, <coughs> verses 1 to 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. This is the great apostle Paul ministering. And we call him great not because of his human stature, but because of his calling that he had in God to go to the churches and minister about the crucifixion of Christ. He says, brothers, in verse 1. So he's talking to the Corinthian church here. He's talking to believers. When I came to you, I did not come with you with superiority of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you. In other words, he put nothing in a higher priority except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he didn't come preaching his denomination. He didn't come preaching how much theology he learned, what Bible school he went to. He told him because it would do no good. And that's just like me. I can stand up here and tell you all kind of things about the scripture. And you could quote all kinds of scripture. And some people do that. They quote a lot of scripture to see how much they know. If you know and you live one scripture, one scripture applied to your life, that means more than quoting the whole Bible. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that our faith, your faith, should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. His message there was to know where people's deliverance is. And I like there was several occasions that don't always happen where everybody always feels something. <clears throat> but I like the times that we pray for people some listen and some don't. I remember one time we prayed for a lady and I didn't even touch her. I was a few inches from her. I just stretched my hand towards her. She had cancer on her thyroid. And when I prayed that God would give her a miracle and God wanted to do that and <coughs> her eyes got real big and her jaw dropped open so I knew something was taking place <laughs> and she said to me she said boy I felt that she said I, I, I felt a witness of what you prayed and when I went to walk away I stopped and I heard the spirit of the Lord tell me to tell her I said <clears throat> God said God gives you a word and you give it to people what they do with it's up to them so God's not in charge you're not in charge but they are with what they do with what you give them so I said, do this for your benefit. I said, get a second opinion, please. And I emphasized because I felt the strength of the Spirit and I knew the Lord was telling me to tell her that not everybody listened. And they were going to one of the cancer clinics, I think it was down in Philadelphia, I believe is where they went, or New Jersey somewhere. And they went down there. And she didn't get a second opinion. 
her husband and her, they kind of like pushed each other. <laughs> you can do that. You have to know your faith. You have to be in agreement. The Bible says to be in agreement. If you're not in agreement, God can't work. So um, she had it taken out. Now, of course, she lived. That was a couple years now. And she lived. <clears throat> but uh, the part is now she's going to have to take medication the rest of her life unless the Lord gives her a new thyroid. But she had it taken out, but they wouldn't come back and tell us. I guess they were ashamed. Some people get embarrassed because they don't listen to what the pastor tells them. And they won't come back and tell the pastor what happened. A lot of people come back and don't tell pastors in the dark, did you know? I said, no, I didn't know. Nobody told me. <laughs> it's amazing. And they said, well, they sent a piece of her thyroid away, and it was not cancerous. So now, it either was cancerous and God healed the cancer. God took, took care of the situation. But through fear of what happened, they went and had it removed. So the thing is, you can obey the Word of God or not. I'm, I'm going to attempt to sing a song to you parallel with what Paul said what he spoke to the Corinthian church. You can lock me up in a prison and throw away the key. Take away my vision from these eyes that now now can see deprive me of the food I now need and even bind my hands and my feet but as long as I know Jesus that I can still go he said, in the comparison of you having, you can have everything that life has to give, everything life has to offer you. Money in the bank, perfect health, perfect marriage, no, none of your children sickly, or any of those things. But the Spirit of the Lord can come, and He can tell you that you can go free. Now, I know each one of us come from different walks of life. Some of us think, well, I never spit the sidewalk. Well, that's good. I never stole anything. I never got drunk. I never lied to my parents. Whatever. Whatever the case may be. But God, He comes in His goodness and His grace. And the blood that was shed. And yet the song says, it goes on to say, I could never quite understand why that king would leave heaven's throne. He put on the robe of an earthly man and he felt the pain of flesh and bone. He traveled down that long, lonely road that led to Calvary where the blood red stain broke all sin's chains. I knew something happened in my life 
the day that I went forth to the altar and gave my life to God when the minister ministered the Word of God. And I went forth and I knew God was dealing with my heart. You, 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 can't, you can't play act this thing. You know. You know when God's dealing with your heart when He's not. And I could care less at that time who was around me. I could care less of who family or friend or anybody else knew. But I knew my heart was not right to stand in the presence of God. And should God call my number and I quit breathing, my heart quit beating, I get killed in a car accident, whatever the case may be, commit suicide, whatever, and you can leave this life and you stand before God and there's no coming back. There's not a second chance. You don't have a second chance to make it right and to correct your life that you lived. And the thing is that people in general are afraid <clears throat> to let the world know where you've been and where you are. Now, for weeks, <clears throat> we taught on these two trees that were in the garden. The garden had many trees. But these trees were specific. They, they had a symbolic significance. And the one tree, it's not, it's not about the fruit. You know, a lot of people, they argue and they get in and they miss the whole uh, essence of what it's trying to say. This tree is saying, I don't need God. The thing is, God created man with the free will to do exactly what he wants to do. You came to church today because you chose to come. Can you say amen? amen. You could have chose to stay home in bed. That's what people don't understand. Time is passing us by and God will never coerce you. God will never force you to go to his house. God will never force you to read the Bible. He will never force you to pray. He will never force you to witness to anybody about finding Christ. The thing is that you have to make up in your mind that I can't do this by myself at the end of life's journey. And I, as I look around when I minister and I think about different people and different individuals that we prayed for, you know, your faith is what you believe in. Hebrews 11 and 6 says you cannot please God without faith. You have to believe. You have to trust that God can do it. <laughs> How many believes today that God loves you? You really believe that? I mean, you really believe God loves you? Now, He watches out for you. And we, we've, had, we've had several things take place in our life that we didn't always have the answers for, didn't understand. But the thing is, I'm still here. The thing is that you're still here. The thing is that God brought you through. That's the part, important part. I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And we know people that got hysterical when something happened in their life. And we knew that they were not believing God and they were not activating their faith to believe God could do what He could do. The title is Circumstances Can. They can. Notice the terminology there. Circumstances can devalue our new experience. 
your new experiences, turning your life and heart over to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, Dan, would you give that mouth, please? And Corinthians 1, we read to you there, 2, 1 to 5, was Paul is telling you there's no excuse to the Corinthian church. He said, it's Christ and Him crucified. It's not how intelligent I am. It's not how much scripture I can quote. But it's Christ and His blood that was shed on Calvary that washes you clean from your past life. The Bible says it's like a slate. It's clean. Thus, God does not hold it against you. If you would go to God now and say, God, do you remember? He's going to say, no, I don't remember. Because I threw it into the sea of forgetfulness to remember it no more. God does not bring your sin back up to Him once you ask Him to forgive you. Now, the key is that you live that newfound life. That you do what's right. You think right. You act right. You talk right. You start clarifying your life as a born-again believer that when other people look at you, they will know. Uh, we, we've heard it said over the years that different people that we met, and they would laugh or smirk, and they'd say, oh yeah, you're one of them Christians. You know, what, what made them say that? What made them draw that conclusion? You're one of them, they're Christians. Because so many of them don't live the life and there's no excuse. If you read the Word, if you take time, one thing you need to know about the Gospel, if anything else, you need to balance your life. Balance your life. It's not just about work. It's not just about making money. It's not just about buying a nice house. It's not just about going on vacation. That's part of life, but that's only a part of it. We need to give the other part to God in prayer. We need to take time. We need to find time. I don't know when your best time to pray is. You might you might could pray late at night after the children's in bed. Whatever. The Bible tells us how it gives a standard to go by. To, to serve the Lord with all of your heart. Don't put him on hold. And don't, I know when we were kids. <clears throat> Mom used to teach us a little simple prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I just die before I wake. I pray the Lord my soul to take. Any of you have ever heard that? You heard that? We used to quote that all the time. But I never asked the Lord to forgive me for my sins. I just prayed a little jerk of a prayer that didn't really mean nothing in the mind of God because it wasn't heartfelt. It wasn't from my heart that I was glad to know that God loved me so much that he shed his blood. You know, it's amazing how God picked the time from the beginning to the end out of life that he chose to have Jesus to hang on the cross, one of the most horrendous deaths known to man. Now, to the Jew, the amazing thing was that it didn't, it didn't fathom them too much because over there, every day, every day they walk up and down the streets, just like you walk up and down the streets here, and, and you see things. They saw people, thieves and robbers, murderers, hanging on crosses all the time on the streets. The streets were full of them. They seen people 
crucified. So what's one more man being crucified? That's why it didn't mean nothing to them. It didn't have much punch to it because they seen these people screaming and blood running and how they tortured them and broke their bones and all those things on these crosses that they saw. And this is what Paul was preaching to the Corinthian church. Now sometimes we stub our toe. I watched that commercial on TV with the little girls eating a lollipop and she chips a tooth and she hollers, Dad! Daddy comes running in through and he kicks into the coffee table and stubs his toe. I guess he broke it, I don't know. But I laughed and I told my wife, I said, do you ever pay close attention to those commercials? And I said, see the things that you don't see. How many ever paid attention to that? Seeing things that you don't see the first time till you see it the next time? He walked into the coffee table and stubbed his right foot. When he was setting up in the doctor's office, the doctor was checking out his left foot. <laughs> My wife says, you always see those things. I said, you're supposed to be attentive to those kind of things. Because the Bible says that we should pray for the spirit of discernment. We should be alive. We need to know. I hear so many people you know, they have, they don't have an ounce of discernment at all. And yet they, they declare to know God. And you need to pray because Paul said you need to ask the Lord that all of us are endowed with the discernment so that you know. Everyone that says they're your friend are not your friend. Now, I'm, I'll be 74 years old. And <clears throat> I met many of families and... Uh, this person would say to me, she's my best friend. We shop together, we go away together, we do this together, and I said, yeah, and she's sleeping with your husband. I knew that, but she didn't know that. Hello, and people don't know, but yet she declared this person was her best friend who was wrecking her life. Come on, come on, talk to me. Or people that, people that would come up to you now. <clears throat> when I worked on a job at Harley, this one boss we had, he was interested in one person and one person only. And that was me, myself, and I. One day I went to work, and I started, got my tools out, and I started setting my tools out on the bench and to do uh, I welded uh, parts in gas tanks, the filler caps, that you had a right and a left tank, and you couldn't get them mixed up. If you got them mixed up, the caps wouldn't work. So when I turned all the power on and got ready to go to work, he says, uh, you're not working on this job today. He said, I got, I, need, I got hot parts down here that I need in this other area. I said, okay. He said, I'm taking you down because he's the boss, and the boss is always right. So I went down on this job that he wanted me to go on, and he said, I want you to produce them part. Because, see, some people, you, you could be trusted, and they knew that you would do the job that it asked you to do, and you'd do a good job at it when you did it. And they knew that, you know. But it's amazing how the same person will come back and stab you in the back. Hello. This guy acted like he was your best friend, the best boss you ever had, if you did what he wanted. 
But if something would be turned around, he would try to get you fired. So that day, that particular day, he called a guy in from another shift and he ran the job that was normally mine. Well, he tried to go real fast to impress the boss and he thought he wanted to know how many pieces I did and he wanted to do a lot more pieces than I did to impress the boss to make me look bad. But he had all these paltainers full parts, several hundred parts, and they were all wrong. Every one of them was wrong. Well, at the end of the day, they came up and somebody drawed it to his attention and they said, do you know that all the parts that were done are wrong? They're all wrong. Well, he went and contacted the floor manager and he thought it was me because it was my job. He forgot that he put me on another job. And he come up and uh, the union store and my floor foreman came up and they both said we have a meeting in the office with the boss and, and his boss and I said okay. So they told me to stop doing what I was doing and we all went together with the boss and we went to the area. <laughs> And he was sitting there with his feet propped up on the desk and cocked back in his chair and real smug looking. And I could tell, I could discern, he had me hung. So he thought, did you ever look at somebody and know they thought you were guilty? <coughs> Nobody but me? <laughs> and <clears throat> So I went in, I just left him talk and left him say everything. He said, I got a letter in your jacket. And he said, it's, up, it's determined up to the area manager or whether you have a job here anymore or not. I still didn't say nothing. I just, you know, sometimes if you keep your mouth shut, it's the best policy not to say anything until it's time. So I sat still and I just was very quiet. And my four person, who was not a Christian, this is neat. I love how God works. He was not a born-again believer. He put his hand on my shoulder and whispered in my ear, and he said, whatever happens today, he said, I got your back. Isn't it nice to know that Jesus has your back? No matter what people try to do that may say your friend, co-worker, family member, how many's ever had a family member you thought was your best friend and they turn against you? <laughs> yeah. I had people tell me, well, my mother or my father, you know, they start naming people and they put them in category. They would never lie to me. Maybe not intentionally. But if your father or mother didn't know the truth, how are they going to tell you the truth? Did you ever learn that? My mother and father never told me I had to be born again because they didn't know they had to be born again. Now they wouldn't intentionally lie to me and tell me that I didn't have to worry about going to heaven, I was going to go to heaven. But unintentionally because they didn't know. Because their parents didn't tell them and their parents didn't tell them and their parents didn't tell them. So it comes on down. So what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, he said, I'm telling you, it's not the denomination that you belong to. Many people right here in Redline think because they belong to the United Methodist, because they belong to the Presbyterian, because they belong to the First Baptist or whatever, the First Church of Christ of the Bible, and 
They have so many names on them now, you can't even remember the name. That that's going to get them into heaven. But Paul's saying here, it's not by his intelligence. It's not because he's a, a well orator to tell them how to know Christ, but it's Christ and him crucified alone. Christ and Christ only. Now, I don't know when or where in your life that somebody introduced Christ to you. Can, can, I, can all of you remember anybody introduce Christ to you? Stephen, I know you can remember. I, I introduced Christ to you not too many years ago. Now, what, about three? Yeah. About three years. And it was pretty neat how the Lord moved in the service and they sat all the way in the back pew. And I had them come up. I had them come together and hold hands and pray together. Sometimes it gives you the insurance if you have somebody with you. Do you remember that, sweetie? And I talked to him and asked him if he knew God or knew about God. <clears throat> and he said, I know God, but I don't know about him. I don't know. I'm not familiar with him. I said, well, God's your redeemer. I said, he died for you. And I said, he wants to come into your heart right now. See, the spirit was moving right then and people walk away and they, they put it off and put it off and put it off. But he didn't. I seen his eyes get all glassy and I told him the Lord loved him. I told him the Lord died for him. And I said, I'm going to help you repeat this sinner's prayer. I said, it's simple. It takes about three seconds. Just think, how many people die and go to hell and they're only three seconds from heaven? About three seconds, that's about all the longer it takes you to say the sinner's prayer, roughly. Three to five seconds you can say the sinner's prayer. That's so simple. I led him to the Lord, and he began to cry. Tears was coming down. His... And I gave him a hug and asked him if he felt different. Well, the Lord was with him. The Lord really blessed him. And uh, God gave him a different job, just like that. I mean, God began to move in their life. They came, <clears throat> how good God is. See, when you put God first in they, bought, they ended up buying a beautiful home. Got a real nice home. He had a job. He had to drive, what, 50 minutes or so to Baltimore and, and all that traffic. And now he's got a job that's, what, 15, 20 minutes from your house? Uh, no, I still have to drive, but it's more money. Yeah, okay. But you got more money. And see, that's how good that God works. And God will be with you, and God will keep escalating you like that when you keep him first, but you got to balance your life. Don't get too caught up in your job. Don't get caught up in your family. Don't get caught up in your bills. Don't get caught up in your bank account. All those things are well and good. They're barter that you have to have here. I surely like a vehicle going to work better than Shoe Soul Express. But the Lord is good to take care of you and watch over you. Now, I remember when I made choices of my own and it didn't pan out too good. I had to struggle. And God allowed me to struggle. And there's positions here because of the way God used Paul to preach to the lost that God allowed Paul to go through many, many, many things. Sometimes we go through things and we think, we never know, that, do you ever hear the saying, you never know till you walk a mile in someone else's shoes. You think you have it rough. So this foreman who thought, see, he connived to cover his own skin. 
He didn't care if it was dishonest or honest or what. He didn't care about me. He didn't care about my job. He didn't care about my wife and my children that I was raising or my mortgage payment that I had come due. Hello. But there's one that does. So when you keep your life balanced, he'll cover you. He'll cover you when the trouble comes. When trouble comes knocking on your door, he'll never desert you. He said, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Even when a foreman, you can work for a foreman for 20 years. And to cover their butt, they will snowball you and cause you to lose your job. And cause you to lose your position. But God was watching out for me because this, he was a captain. And it's amazing. I never had too many Christians stand up for me, but I, I've had Catholics. <laughs> had people who wasn't devout, people who didn't really pray, people who didn't really read the Bible, stand behind your back. It's an amazing who God will choose. Huh? You know, God used a donkey to speak to Balaam when Balaam was bullheaded. Balaam didn't want to do what God called him to do. He was riding a donkey and he took his club and he kept beating the donkey and beating the donkey. And the donkey didn't want to listen, didn't want to obey. Huh? Some of us are like that. We're like donkeys. Where God has to club us, so to speak, to get our attention. He doesn't want to do that. But the issues that you go through, God doesn't do it, by the way. We do it ourselves. We open the door. You open the door to the enemy. The enemy will come in and the enemy will cause you trouble that you cause by yourself. And God has gotten people out of messes, gotten people out of their lives that caused them all kind of chaos. They'll turn around and open the door and bring that person right back in their life. Hello? 